You're listening to the Prince College Podcast, a ministry of Prince Avenue Baptist Church, where our goal is to lead you to trust and follow Jesus. Amen. Are you guys good tonight? Everybody feeling good? You are? Yeah, okay. A couple of you are feeling good tonight? That was a little, little weak. Let's try this again. Are you doing good tonight? Yeah. I want you to know that I was like on my way up here, and some of you over here saw this moment happen. I was like walking down this aisle during that last song, and I like got right to the front of this aisle. And if you don't know Ray over here, Ray gets a little Pentecostal on us, and he like threw his hands up right as I came up, and I like matrix moved it. It was like a beautiful moment, and we all lost all spiritual significance and laughed. Um, But I think laughter is a good thing. So anyway, I'm glad to see you tonight. I really am. I say this every week, and I don't want you to get tired of it, but I do mean it. It means a lot to us that you join us here for Wednesdays in Bogart, Prince College Nights. Uh, we love these moments together. We believe these moments are significant and special, and, and we love gathering with you and just taking some time to, to worship and to open God's word. And, and if you've been with us at all, you know that we're in this series, all on the Lord's Prayer. And what we've talked about for the past several weeks is this is undoubtedly one of the most famous passages of scripture ever. Like we've said it at funerals, you say it before sports games. It's one of those passages of scripture that gets quoted all the time because of its familiarity, because it's something that we hear a lot. Often it loses its depth, it loses its meaning. And so we are taking some time this semester just to go line by line through this Lord's Prayer. And what we're talking about is that this prayer, it was never really meant to be something that was just recited. That reciting the Lord's Prayer, of course, is a good practice, but whenever Jesus gave this to his disciples, whenever it was recorded here, it was given to teach us how to pray ourselves. And we've talked a lot about just going through each of these lines together. And so, so far in the Lord's Prayer, we've covered the first line, the first three lines of the prayer together. It's this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what we've talked about together is that each of these three lines in this prayer are directed towards God and they're about God. That's what we've seen, right? That there are these three, these opening lines of the prayer are these lines that are given to God, are directed to God, and they are about God. And what we've talked about for the past several weeks, that these are important perspectives for us to have. And so we've gone line by line in this prayer, and we talked about our Father in heaven. And we talked about how it's so important for us to have the perspective that whenever we come to God, we are invited to approach the God of the universe, the one who spoke and sent galaxies spinning into motion, the one who controls all things, the one who has all power and all authority, who rules and reigns. We are invited to approach him as our father. It shows us the intimacy that is available to us. That shows us the relationship that is available to us. We've talked about how important it is for us to have that perspective. We talked about how it's so important for us to know what it means to cry out for God's name to be hallowed. We talked about how this is probably the most misunderstood portion of the Lord's Prayer because we don't use that word very often, but quite simply, it just means that we want God's name to be regarded as holy, that we want all people in all places to sing the praises of King Jesus. We want the glory of God to fill the ends of the earth. We want all people in all places to know God's goodness and God's glory and God's majesty. And last week, we took some time to go through that line in the Lord's Prayer that is, your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. And we talked about how we're living in this story, this battle between two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And it's time for a revolution to take place. And we talked about how Jesus came and he has overthrown the powers of evil and he has invited us to participate in his kingdom coming here on earth and that we're meant to be a people who pray for and participate in the coming of the kingdom. That we're to pray for that and to participate that in our own lives. That we should seek to see God's kingdom come in our lives. That we're to pray for and to participate in that locally through things like Prince Cares. And we're to pray for and participate in that globally. That we should want the nations to know the glory of King Jesus. That's what we've talked about so far. But tonight in the Lord's Prayer, we're making a little bit of a shift. We go to prayers to God about God to prayers to God about us. And we go from perspective shifts to practical needs. That's what we're going to see in the next three weeks. We go from these big picture requests that we want God to do, that we want his name to be hallowed, we want his kingdom to become, then we go to things that we need in our normal, everyday lives. Prayers for things like provision, for forgiveness, for deliverance. And I'm excited to take this shift with you because I believe this shows us another side of the heart of God. I believe it shows us this. I just want you to know this from the get-go, that God doesn't just care about the big picture things. He cares about the everyday, ordinary things in your life. I want you to hear that. Like God doesn't just care about the big picture. He cares about the things going on in your life as well. Just like a good father cares about the big picture of their child's life and is also intimately involved in the day-to-day, your God cares about the big picture, yes, but he also cares about you. And I'm really excited for us to dive into these next three weeks together because it's going to show us more of just the type of relationship that we have been afforded with God, that we can cry out and pray for the coming of the kingdom. We can participate in hallowing his name, but we can also come to him and ask him for our daily bread. I believe that whenever we see this, we will be able to step into greater intimacy with the Lord. It's not just about the big picture. It's about the everyday, ordinary things as well. I've been thinking about that a lot this week, and I was just trying to think of a way to like explain that, an analogy that I could share that would kind of just help us wrap our minds around what this looks like, that God doesn't just care about the big picture, but that he cares about the everyday, ordinary things as well. And, and as I begin to think about that and that type of a relationship of one that's not just about the big picture, but it's about the everyday, ordinary things, I just kept coming back to just my own relationship with my wife. Several of you in the room know my wife. Her name is Jillian. She and I have been married for almost four years now. November will be four years, which is exciting. That's great. Yeah, a couple woos. Thanks. Appreciate it. Uh, We've made it. Um, But I remember whenever Jillian and I got engaged, and speaking of engagement, we have a couple, Jade and Hannah. Where are they at? I wasn't planning on that. So here here you go. Here's your first piece of of marriage advice. All right, here it is. Because I remember whenever we got engaged, we were so consumed with planning the wedding day. Like, the wedding day was this all-consuming thing. It was the big picture thing, and all the details had to be just right. Like, I started looking at things that I never thought, like, I would ever care about, like napkins and plates and menus and, like, specific types of chairs and all kinds of things. Like, all the details had to go just right, and if one of those details was wrong, it felt like the whole thing was going to be messed up. We had to consider who to invite, who to not invite. Like, if we don't invite this person, are they going to get offended? It was just this big, this all-consuming thing, this big-picture thing of the wedding. 
And on top of that, even whenever we weren't planning for the wedding, I remember just having this, just consuming thoughts of what like, these pictures in my mind of what I thought marriage was supposed to look like, what I was supposed to be like as a husband. I had these big picture things in my mind of what I thought marriage was all about. But as we got married and we began to build a life together, I began to realize that marriage and life with Jillian, it's not just about the big picture things. It's about the day-to-day living with one another, like our needs, our flaws, our mistakes and all. And very early in my relationship with Jillian, I remember there was a tendency in me to try to like keep my flaws from her, of like not trying to like let her in on all of my mistakes and my flaws because I was trying to protect that big picture. Like I had in my mind what a husband should look like and what marriage should be like. And so I wasn't letting her in on those things. But the further into marriage I've gotten, the more I've realized the importance of not just focusing on the big picture, but being real and honest and sharing the daily things with her. And the more that I've done that, the more intimacy that we've stepped into together, the closer our marriage has become. I've learned a really interesting thing, that with greater transparency comes greater intimacy. Something I've learned in our marriage. And the more that I acknowledge my needs, my insufficiencies, the more support, the more help that she has given me, and we've grown so much closer together. It's not just about the big picture things. It's about the daily things. And I don't just share that example with you to brag on my wife, even though she is absolutely incredible. I share that example with you to say that that's just a human example of what has been made available to you in Jesus. Like, he doesn't just care about the big picture things in your life. He cares about the everyday, ordinary things as well. I think that that some of us have this very rigid view of who God is and what relationship with God is meant to be about. That we have this like very formal idea of what a relationship with God is about. That we think that he's this big God who's in the sky who only cares about the big picture things. That he's the one that's holding the entire world in his hands. All he cares about is his own holiness. All he cares about is his own glory. He cares about purity. He cares about all these things, but he doesn't care about the individual things in our lives. And so there's a reluctance in us sometimes to bring the everyday ordinary things to God because we think that it's too small. But I just wanna, I wanna push back against that as much as I possibly can. And I think this prayer from Jesus tonight shows us that God doesn't just care about the big picture things. Like he cares about the daily needs. And I want you to see that because this helps you step into more intimacy with the Lord. This helps you experience more of the Lord. And it helps you realize that this God that you have been invited to know doesn't just care about the big picture things. He cares about you. He loves you. And he delights in you. We need that reminder tonight. Like, that's why we see in this prayer, Jesus go from our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. It's the big prayers and it's the small ones. Do you see that? I want you to see that tonight, that it's the coming of the kingdom, but it's also the daily needs. This line in the Lord's Prayer, this line of give us this day our daily bread, is an invitation for us to trust all of our lives to the Lord. Not just our eternal salvation, but every single moment. Every single thing that you need. Give us this day our daily bread. Our most basic needs is an invitation to trust everything in our life 
to the Lord. This prayer has so much significance. Those of you who have been around church for a while, you may know this, but this, this line in this prayer is rooted in an Old Testament story. That whenever Jesus prayed this prayer, uh, give us this day our daily bread, the people listening that day would have undoubtedly thought about a story that's recorded in Exodus chapter 16. You don't have to flip there, but I would encourage you if you have some time later this week to go back and read through that story. Essentially what happens is this. The story of Exodus is a story of God's people being enslaved by the nation of Egypt. They have been brought to Egypt through the line of Joseph, and whenever they get there, they're enslaved by an evil and wicked king who the Bible calls Pharaoh. Pharaoh enslaves the people of Egypt, makes their lives harsh with labor. It makes their lives utterly miserable. And these people are held in slavery for generations. They're depressed. They're kept in bondage. But God raises up a leader to free his people, a leader by the name of Moses. And through some miraculous displays of God's power and God's might, the people are set free. Again, you may remember or may have heard in your childhood or may have read in Exodus yourself the story of the 10 plagues, that God brings all these plagues on the people of Egypt to not just to be a bully and not just to show Pharaoh who's up, who's boss, but to demonstrate his power and his might over all things. And the people of Israel are are eventually set free. They're invited to walk out of slavery and into freedom. And they begin to make their journey out of Egypt towards the land that God had called them to, and Pharaoh changes his mind. And Pharaoh begins to chase after the people, and they come up to a large body of water, and God parts the seas so that the Israelites can walk across on dry ground. Causes the seas to crash on the armies of Pharaoh. They are delivered. They experience God's miraculous salvation. They experience miraculous freedom through the power and might of God. They're invited out of bondage and into new life. And they begin to journey together towards the promised land, the land that God had promised them. But on their way, they begin to encounter some hardship. They begin to encounter a moment of difficulty. And what was that moment of difficulty? Well, they run out of food, and they get really hungry. And when they get hungry, they get really cranky. Some of you know what that's like. We can all agree. We feel that, okay? They get really, amen, thanks. Appreciate that. Um, They get really hungry, and they begin to complain against their leaders, against Moses and his brother Aaron, saying things like, you just brought us out of Egypt to kill us here. But what we see is that their complaints aren't really against Moses and Aaron. They're actually against God. And that by complaining and saying that Moses and Aaron had left them there, that they're actually saying that they don't trust God to provide for them where they are. And their complaints demonstrate a lack of belief. And in Exodus chapter 16, we see God do something remarkable. That even though these people are complaining and belittling him and expressing all kinds of doubts in him, God provides for his people yet again. And he brings down what is called manna from heaven. And there's a story in Exodus 16 where God tells the people, I'm going to provide for your needs. I know that you're hungry. I know that you need food. And so he tells them, every morning, there's gonna be bread that comes from heaven and it's out in the field. You go get it. But he tells them, only gather what you need for that day. Only gather your daily bread, what you need for today. And he tells them, if you try to hoard more, If you try to go after more, it's going to spoil. It will not last. And that's exactly what happens. The people try to hoard for themselves, but it does not last. And God provides day after day exactly what these people need, their daily 
bread. And this story is really significant in the book of Exodus because in this story, God begins to teach something to the Israelite people that I want you to see tonight as well. It's gonna be behind me on the screens. That God is not just the God of miraculous salvation. He is the God of daily provision. And through this story in Exodus, we see God inviting the people to trust him in a new way. They had experienced his salvation. They had experienced the 10 plagues. They had experienced him parting the Red Sea. They had experienced his massive liberation of an entire nation. But here they come to a moment where they're hungry and they need food and they begin to look to their own abilities and they see that they can't provide for themselves and so they get worried and they get afraid and they begin to grumble and complain. And so what does God do? He causes bread to fall from heaven to show them it's not just about the big salvation moment. It's not just about the big monumental things. It's also about the daily things. He's the God of both. And that story in Exodus is ultimately a picture of what was to come later in Jesus. That the entire story of Exodus is a picture of what was gonna happen later in the gospel of Jesus Christ because what God did for the Israelites, he did was temporary. Like he provided manna in the wilderness. He provided manna from heaven for 40 years, but that was just a temporary thing. But what God did for the Israelites temporarily, he has now done for you ultimately in Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand that because we too are a people who are born into spiritual bondage. We talked about this almost every week, that the story of humanity is one that we are born into bondage, into restriction, into sin, right? That the Bible says that we were all created in God's image, but we chose to go the other way. And whenever we choose to rebel, we have pursued our own way and we sin and we break relationship with God. And those decisions don't lead us to life. They only lead us to more brokenness, more darkness, more pain, more bondage. But even in our bondage, God chose to pursue us. And he rose up a deliverer, an ultimate deliverer, not Moses in the desert, but Jesus Christ, his own son. And through another display of God's miraculous power, not 10 plagues, not the parting of the Red Seas, but Jesus's miraculous birth, life, death, and resurrection, we too have been offered freedom. We've been offered freedom from our sins. We've been offered freedom from all the past mistakes. The good news of the gospel is that all of us have made mistakes. All of us stand condemned before God, but we have the opportunity to come to God, to lay all of these things at his feet, to say, I believe that you are the one who made me. I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to live, die, and rise again for me. And I believe that his sacrifice is sufficient. And whenever we believe in the name of Jesus and we believe in his finished work, then we too can receive forgiveness for our sins and we can be set free in the name of Jesus Christ. That is amazing news. But what I want you to understand is that we too have a tendency to follow the same pattern of the Israelites in the desert. Like we receive freedom from our bondage, deliverance through the power of God. We receive this big salvation moment. Many of us have had that moment where we come face to face with realizing that Jesus is the son of God and we have experienced his salvation and that's a beautiful gift. But then life goes on. And we continue and we hit moments of difficulty in our life and we become so fixated on our circumstances and so fixated on our own ability and so fixated on our desire for control and we too begin to get fearful 
And we too begin to grumble and complain and we too do not trust God. But I want you to understand tonight that God is not just the God who saved you. God is not just the God of the big salvation moment. He's not just the way, the truth, and the life. He's also the bread of life. He cares about the big moment, but he also cares about the little moments. Like I need us to understand, I feel like there's this version of Christianity or cultural Christianity, especially where we live in the South, that thinks that, that life with Jesus is just about like praying a prayer and then waiting until we get into heaven one day. Like that is so far from the gospel. That is so far from who God wants you to be. That is so far away from life with Jesus. God did not send his son Jesus just so you could pray a prayer and get into heaven one day. We need to understand that this gospel that saves us is the same gospel that sustains us. Like we need the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the power of forgiveness, the power of resurrection, the power of freedom. We need that for all of life. Like he doesn't just care about the big picture moment. It's not just about your eternal destination. It's about your daily bread. The gospel is not just about eternal salvation. It's also about daily provision. You need to understand that. Like we need to understand that God cares for us. We need to realize that he, he wants us to come to him with all of life. And whenever we begin to see God that way, we begin to experience a new kind of freedom. A freedom from worry and anxiety and fear and stress because we realize that we belong to the one who is ultimately in control of all things. That's why I had Jade read that passage in Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Like that entire passage is a reminder that God is in control of the daily things in your life. Repeatedly, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life. And he uses two specific examples. He says, don't be anxious about what you're going to eat. Don't be anxious about what you're going to wear. What's he doing there? He's pointing us to the reality that we don't need to be anxious about the everyday, ordinary things of life, that we don't need to worry about these things. And the reason he tells us that we don't need to worry about these things is because God is in control of these things, that God's not just in control of the big things, but he's in control of the small things as well, not just the galaxy spinning in motion, not just your eternal salvation, but the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. Do you see that? He's in control of those things as well. And the question that he asks by teaching us this is if God takes care of those things, will he not also take care of you? Like look at that line, he says, are you not of more value than they? What Jesus is saying there is, do you not think that you, the one who is made in God's image, the one who God sent his son to live, die, and rise again for. Do you not think that you are more valuable to God than the birds of the air and the lilies of the field? We need to understand our worth in the eyes of God. God delights in his children. He cares for us. He loves us. He cares about us so much more than the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. And if he takes care of them, then he'll take care of us as well. We're told in this text that he has every he knows everything that we need. Our God is not distant, he is near. He is very present 
in your reality. He knows the things that are going on in your life. He knows the things that you most desperately need. He knows your basic need. He is not unaware of those things, and he does not want you to worry about them because he's in control of all things. So we have this tendency to try to grasp at control in life, but there are so many things that are outside of our control. And when we come face to the face with the fact that we are out of control, that we do not have control, often the response in our life is stress, is worry, is fear, is anxiety. And God says, you don't need to carry that at all. Matthew 6, 27, who of you by being anxious can add a single hour to your span of life? That worry, that fear, that stress, trying to grasp that control is not doing you any good. It's not helping you. It's hindering you. So we need to learn to let it go. And I want you to understand something really clearly. That by Jesus teaching us this, and by Jesus encouraging us to let go of these fears and these cares of the things in life, he's not saying that these things aren't important. He's not saying that your daily needs don't matter. He's saying that God is in control of them and you're not. And we need to see that. That the God who is in heaven, the God who has invited us to know him as father, he's in control of those things and you can trust him. You can let go of a desire for control of all of these things in your life and you can focus on the things that he's called you to. To focus on the things that he's called you to do. That's why I love Matthew 6, 33. He says, He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Jesus is showing you in that passage, like, hey, you don't need to grasp for control at all these little things that you're trying to go after. You need to worry first about seeking God's kingdom. Go after him. Spend time with him. Worry about the things of the kingdom. Begin to chase after Jesus. Become the man or the woman that he has called you to be. Go after God. Seek after the kingdom and trust that God is gonna provide exactly what you need. Don't worry about your future. Don't worry about all of these things. Matthew 6, 34, Don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't worry about the days are come. Don't get so caught up in fear and anxiety over your future. You let God give you what you need today. You trust him to provide your daily bread. That's what this prayer is all about. That's what this passage is all about. So many of us, I've talked to so many of you, and I know this is true in my own life, and I know this is true for many of the people that I've talked to in here in this room, that there are so many of us who battle with stress, anxiety, worry, trying to control things in our life that are so far beyond our control. There are things going on in your families that you want to change, and you have so much anxiety over because you want to see them done differently, but you have no control over those situations. Friendships, relationships, dating relationships that we get so worried about. When am I going to meet this person? Am I going to get married or not? Am I going to be dating this person or not? What does this person think of me? We get so many things that we're so anxious about. Career decisions. What job am I going to get out of college? How much money am I going to make? Where am I going to live? So many things that we're so worried about trying to protect protect an image of our ideal reality that we have in our own minds. And I want you to hear me say, It's not that those things aren't unimportant, but we need to remember our place. We are not the ones in control of the world. We can let go of our desire for control because we know the one who is ultimately in control of all things. And so, yes, we work hard and we try in life and we do the things that we are called to do, but we trust God to do the things that he can do.
We trust God to do the things that only he can do, that he is a good God and he can be trusted. Like at some point, I was just thinking about this this week. At some point, if we believe that our God is in control and we believe that he's good, at some point that belief has to change the way that we live. Right? Like, do you, do you understand that? At some point that belief has to change the way that we live. Like, if we say that with our mouths, that God is good, that we believe that he's good, that we believe that he's in control, and then we worry about all of these situations in our life, we're communicating with our actions that we don't actually trust the Lord. And I'm not trying to say that to shame anyone in the room. I'm just trying to show you the reality of what your actions are actually saying. At some point, if we are going to follow God, if we're going to be the people of God, we actually have to trust that he is who he says he is. And we can trust all of life to him, the big things and the small, the coming of the kingdom and your classes at UGA, the hallowing of his name and your relationships. We can trust all things to God. And whenever we begin to live our lives this way, actually walking in the way that he has for us, actually believing that he is God, that he is in control, and that he is good, we can experience so much freedom. We can walk without stress, without worry, and without fear because we know that whatever comes our way, our God is good and he is in control. And if we begin to live our life like that, other people around us will take notice. That will help us become a city on a hill. In the midst of an anxious and burdened generation, we can live lives of freedom because of the one we belong to. That's what I want for you. I know so many of you are walking through so many situations that bring you so much anxiety, fear, and stress, and I want you to know that you can let go of those things because your God is in control. Listen, this is something that... That I've been learning a lot about in my own life. I have always been a person who is anxious and stressed. I love to try to control outcomes. And whenever I come face to face with my lack of control, my immediate response is visceral anxiety, lots of fear, lots of stress. This has been my personality for as long as I can remember, and I still battle it today. Like in my job, I, in my job here at Prince, I want to do a good job. I want to be a part of God moving in the lives of college students. I want to be a part of something spiritually significant in our day. I want to see college students come to know Jesus, love Jesus, and I want to see revival break, up, break out in Athens that goes all across the globe. I want to be a part of sending college students to the nations. I want to be a part of seeing college students come to know Jesus for the first time. I want to step into your lives and help you actually walk with Jesus. I want those things so desperately. But I can't control any of that. I can't make any of that happen. And the reality is whenever some of you come to me with situations, I want so badly to take on those situations for you and control the outcome, but I can't. And a lot of times that makes me anxious. And a lot of times that makes me worried. I feel the same thing in my marriage, my relationship with Jillian. There's so many things that I want to see happen in our life with our family, but there's so many of those things that are so far outside of my control. And if I continue going after those things that are outside of my control, the only result is more and more anxiety. And so the re reality is I'm learning a lot in my own life right now about the importance of realizing that I'm not the one who is in con ultimate control. And that's actually a really good thing because I know the one who is. 
And I'm learning more about what it looks like to trust God with even the small things in my life, to surrender everything to him. In church circles, we love to talk about the idea of God's sovereignty. Perhaps you've heard that word before. And what we mean by that is that whenever we say that God is sovereign, what we mean is that he's all-powerful and he's all-knowing. He's in control of all things, right? He's in ultimate control, that nothing happens without God's divine say-so. That's another one of those things that if we actually believe that, then we've got to let that change the way that we live. And so for me here lately, I've been saying this to myself over and over again. This can be behind me on the screens as well. That God's sovereignty equals my security. Like if God is really sovereign, if God is really in control, and if God is really good, then I can rest secure because he has me in his hand and I can trust that he's gonna give me this day my daily bread. And so I'm just trying in my life to learn to bring all things to the Lord and to trust him with the big things and the small. And that's what I want for you. That God cares about you. Your relationship with Jesus should not be limited to just a prayer for eternal salvation. You're invited to bring all things to him, the big things and the small, your joys and your sorrows, your excitements and your fears, prayers for the coming of the kingdom and prayers for your daily bread. The band's gonna go ahead and come back up. We're gonna sing another song here in just a moment, but as they do, I just wanna end this way. All right, don't check out just yet. As they do, I just wanna ask you this. What is it that you need from God in your life right now? Like what are those tangible needs, things that are bringing you anxiety, things that are causing you to worry, things that are just causing those knots in your chest that you can't stop thinking about. What is it that you need from the Lord? And I want you to understand that you can trust whatever that situation is to God. He cares about you. There's no problem too big and there's no problem too small to bring to the Lord. If you belong to Jesus, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus, that means that God sees you as his beloved son or his beloved daughter. And as his children, we have the opportunity to come to him freely. So let's be people who go to the Lord and who trust all things in our life to him. He is the one who secures our eternal salvation. But he's also the one who offers us daily provision. So whatever it is in your life, whatever is causing you so much stress, so much fear, so much anxiety, you can lay it down tonight. Because the God who provided in the desert in Exodus 16 is the same God who provides for you now. The God who lived, died, and rose again in Jesus is the same God who cares about you right now. He has not changed. His power is still the same. He is good and he can be trusted. So let's be people who look to him and pray that he would give us this day our daily bread, trusting that he would give us what we need here and now. Would you pray with me?